Before we get started on today's show, I want to tell you about Hassle Cattle Company. Hassle Cattle Company means hassle-free blue-collar Wagyu beef. Blue-collar, why? Because it's the best damn Wagyu that every man or woman can afford. Hassle Cattle Company offers Wagyu smoked sausage, New York strip, beef bacon, Wagyu frank without any fillers, two jerky flavors, original and sweet and spicy. Their Hamburger One Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. Not only do we love their beef, the country loves their beef. These guys, they ship all over uh, the U.S., HassleCattleCompany.com, H-A-S-S-E-L-L, CattleCompany.com. Use promo code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. That's DNVR10 for 10% off. I'm telling you guys, lots of DNVR members have been ordering from them and letting us know about them. Um, so continue to do so. I'm telling you, once you do it once, you're going to want to keep doing it because it comes straight to your door. You never have to worry about buying premium, top-shelf, blue-collar Wagyu beef. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. You're going to want to download the number one top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code DNVR when you do. Uh, let them know that we sent you there. And, of course, we're always telling you about uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, especially on our pregame shows. You guys, our brand-new pregame shows that air 30 minutes before tip-off tomorrow. What is tomorrow's time? I think 5 o'clock. We're a half hour ahead, so you're going to want to tune into those. Those have been really cool. I've really enjoyed them. They're different than the the post-game shows. So tomorrow's game at 5.30. We'll be live at 5 o'clock. 30 minutes just talking about the game, looking at some of the bets, um, and previewing the game, having some fun. And then, of course, our post-game show, of course, always is afterwards live on YouTube. Today's episode of the show, guys, solo edition with me here. Um notebook episode on last night's game which was really interesting a lot of notes you know some games i don't know if there's enough notes to fill a show some games i think oh yeah this is going to be good there's a lot of good stuff and this was the michael porter breakout game of the 2021 season you know he had of course many breakout games last year inside the bubble and before but i felt like this was the first one of this season where it's like okay mike you know, he really saved the day. And so I wanted to kind of get into some of the things on both ends of the court, offensive and defense, that I thought he did really well. Talk about some of the things that he didn't. And then just, you know, obviously analyze the, the game as a whole. So um, there also will be a new edition of the list up tonight. So probably by the time you're hearing this, it'll be up on the DNVR.com for DNVR members. So if you're not a member, you're going to want to become one. So you can check out my film study deep dive that I call the list. All right, getting ready in these notes here. First note I have... Jamal Murray just opened the game aggressive and on fire, and I don't know which which came first, whether it was he came into this game with the expectation of being aggressive, and because of that he was getting to his spots, or if he knocked down a couple and it, it kind of got a rhythm going. I really don't know the answer to that. All I can tell you is that you know from the get-go, he was taking looking for his shot. And I really do think that Jamal Murray is a player that is best when he's looking for a shot. I think he gets into trouble sometimes trying to both be a point guard and a scoring guard. And, you know, maybe he can develop the perfect balance of that. Uh, only a handful of players, I think, really do. I think most players are either scorers or or point guards. But, you know, maybe that's part of his growth is he'll kind of balance those two out. But in this game, I, I thought he was looking for a shot, and he's best when he's doing that. He ran into a transition three. 
And it was a great play by Jokic, actually, who you know sets the, the screen up top, right at the top of the key, as Murray was sprinting it down the court. Forced Because Murray was sprinting, his defender went under the screen, and Jokic just kind of did a great job of kind of moving perfectly to pin him in a, a way that gave Murray just a little bit of daylight to stop and pop, and of course he drained it. And you just love to see it. The Nuggets, I mean, we've said this a bunch, I don't have to go over it too much, but they're such a different team when Jamal Murray's playing well. Um, he really is. Jokic is the... Um, you know, the baseline, Jamal Murray's the control piece. When he plays well, their Nuggets are awesome, like literally awesome. And then when Michael Porter Jr. plays well, they're almost unbeatable. Gary Harris started out great, but he picked up back-to-back bad fouls. So one thing about Gary is that he is shooting the ball really well, almost 50% over the last, I think, eight or nine games. So there is some reason to kind of think that Gary Harris is finding his shot and finding his confidence. There was a couple games back, man, I don't know how many it was. It was probably six or seven games where he did not attempt a three-pointer. And, you know, during that game, I kind of thought, okay, is he losing confidence that he, you know, you like it if a player is not feeling it, you like him to not take too many three-pointers. But, you know, of course, Gary Harris is a guy that they're going to need. Yeah, over the last eight games, 46.4% on 4.7 attempts a game. That's just fantastic. Um, but a couple of games back, he didn't take any. And in this game, the fact that he was willing and shot the ball with confidence so early, you know, hints that he might be in a little bit of a better headspace. And, of course, it's always easy. Once you kind of get rolling, it's it's easier, easier to keep that going. What I think is crazy is that he has now been in the league for, I believe, six, no, seven seasons. Gary Harris, seven seasons in the NBA. In three of those seasons, he shot above, he's shooting 33.8%. In three of those seasons, he shot above 33.8%. In three of those seasons, he shot below 33.8%. And in one season, 2018-19, he shot exactly 33, well, actually 33.9%. So it's kind of fun because Gary Harris is at like a sort of inflection point. He is at the point where he can go one of two ways, either this is the new Gary and he starts to connect on these and we can, you know, he goes above that and maybe he gets all the way up to that 39, 40% mark that he was from 2016 to 18, or he dips back below it. This is just a hot streak and he kind of regresses and he goes back down to that 33 or below mark. So I I just thought that was kind of an interesting detail that he's literally right at that line of demarcation for him. Um, Jokic made some really basic errors and misreads all game from first quarter on. And that's not to say he was only making bad plays. He did make some good ones and he finished up with what I would call like a C minus game. Maybe, maybe honestly, maybe a D plus. This was a really, especially on rewatch. I thought this was a really bad game from Jokic, but he still makes good plays and he's still like positive. Like if you were to say what, you know, rank all of the players in this game, I thought Michael Porter was the best. Jamal Murray, even though he only played half the game, maybe second best Jermichael Green, second or third best. Everybody else was bad, so Jokic may be the fourth best player in this game. P.J. Dozier was good until he went out, so maybe he put him ahead of it. But So Jokic, even when he's bad, is still like one of the most important players, but I, just, I thought this was just a bad game from him, um, and he was making some really basic errors and misreads that he doesn't make. Like there's, It's one thing, you know, Jokic has turnovers, and I've talked about I don't really mind it. It's like the best example I could use is Steven Adams years ago didn't rebound the ball very well. He averaged like seven rebounds a game. But when he was on the court, the Oklahoma City Thunder dominated the boards. And I think Jokic is the same. He turns it over a lot. But when he's on the court, the Nuggets as a team don't turn it over a lot. And I think that's fine. Like he bears the brunt of it. But I think those th- what you really worry about is what does the team do when you're on the court? Not necessarily like one player, you know, what the numbers say. But 
Um, but in this game, some of the errors and misreads he made weren't the variety of like, okay, guys weren't on the same page or he's, you know, pushing it a little bit. And he has to, these were just like bad reads. Like he didn't see a guy in help side and threw the ball right to him or, um, you, you know, those types of plays holding the ball real loosely and nonchalantly while somebody reaches in and steals it. So, um, he, he made some errors that made me think, and this is two games in a row, a little bit of like declining, you know, he's been so fantastic all year that now seeing two sort of underwhelming games in a row, you kind of sit back and go, okay, well now I'm curious, is he going to have a bounce back game or is this maybe a sign of something larger, maybe a little bit of fatigue or frustration or something like that, uh, or just a slump, but, um, it's something to keep an eye on. He did have a nice drive on Boban, you know, his buddy, who, by the way, dwarfed him. Like, Jokic looks so tiny out there next to Boban. It was crazy. And if you think back, Boban has actually done a nice job against Jokic. I mean, of course, he's dominated on the offensive end. He did not do that in this game. But um, I thought that Jokic almost had, like, a new strategy against Boban. I've talked about how Jokic, over time, I think, figures players out. And, of course, he's known Boban for so long, so maybe this was just a one-off. But I felt like Jokic, maybe it was with his newfound, you know, weight and speed, he was putting Boban into open space, attacking his feet and making him make rotations. And he had one in particular, that nice spin move um, that, that uh, on Boban that got right to the rim. I just That is how you beat Boban. Like, as big as he is... He wants to not have to move at all, like literally not have to move his shuffle, his feet. So if you can make him have to take a step or two, the odds of you burning him are go up quite a bit. And Jokic, I thought, did a great job of that. Um, Green, uh, Jamichael Green continues to have great cuts off of Jokic and not even scoring cuts, although this one in particular was a scoring cut. But what I like about Jamichael Green is he just seems to read the floor balance so well, uh, meaning where, like, Sometimes really smart bigs know this, like because they know what it's like when they were the go-to scorer. Just hey, I know what what sucks, like what kind of spacing or cutting really blows up your ability to read the court or brings defenders into your space, and which ones don't. And I think Jamichael Green is very good at sort of knowing, hey, this is this is my way of dragging my guy out of space, or you know, cutting when my guy doesn't realize it. That's going to create a switch. And I just thought that was great. I have an example of this up on the list. Um, he also got beat pretty easily a couple of times by James Johnson. And this is one of the big questions for him. So if you talk about Jermichael Green, I, I said this coming into the season, and I think I was spot on, on on this analysis. I think Jermichael Green is a significantly better fit next to the Nuggets when as a power forward what than Jeremy Grant was. What makes Jeremy Grant so valuable was that Jeremy Grant was a better, more versatile player. He could play the three, he could play the four, and he could guard more types of players, even if he couldn't guard the more the the types of players who usually play foul power forward. Um, you know, maybe Jermichael Green is better at those, the 80th percentile of, of players. But if you talk about some of those variable ones, some of those unique ones, Jeremy Grant was just more versatile. And James Johnson is an example of a big-bodied... I, I really like James Johnson. I'm a big fan of his game. He's an example of a big-bodied, strong player, so power-forward-sized player, but who has some point-guarding instincts. I mean, he's a really good ball handler. He's a really smart player. Like, he sees the court well, and he has a couple tricks. And he was able to kind of blow by uh, Jermichael Green. And that's one of the questions you want to kind of ask is, okay, going down the line... Jermichael Green might have to guard, you know, LeBron or Anthony Davis or, you know, some of these more versatile bigs that Paul George might play some for and Jermichael Green might be, you know, Denver might say, hey, we need to get, you know, both Porter and Green and Jokic on the court. Well, Jokic goes to the center. Anthony Davis is free. Who's going to take him? It might be Jermichael Green. And those are the types of guys that, you know, I'm, 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 
I, I, that's what I want to see is if he's capable of guarding those types. But James Johnson, I thought, had kind of had his way with him. Nonetheless, Jokic-Green pairings this season so far, a plus 18 net rating, and only 8.6 minutes per game. But I, to me, that's such an encouraging number. That's a, that's a beast of a number, plus 18 net rating. Now, of course, everything is small sample size this time of year. But if you go back and think about Last year with Jeremy Grant, early on in the season, the Jokic Grant two-man pairing was terrible, and it didn't. It wasn't until the back half of the season and really the back quarter of the season that that pairing looked good. Now, again, it's small sample size; these things can regress. But early returns on the Jokic Jamichael Green pairing is is absolutely fantastic. If you add Jamal Murray to that, so if you talk about Jokic and Murray, the big two, and Jamichael Green, that net goes all the way up to plus twenty-five on five and a half minutes a game. So something to monitor as the season rolls on, because if that number holds. I think you have to be extremely encouraged. Um, there was some really, I, I talked about the cutting. There was one play in particular. When you get Jamichael Green and Michael Porter Jr., and I think Michael Porter Jr. has the, the tools to be a phenomenal cutter, and I think he has some instincts to be a phenomenal cutter. He just doesn't read the whole court very well, but he does read cutting angles very well. And when you get both of those guys on the court, you just open up all these opportunities for, one, you know, if you get any kind of switch, not just the Jokic-Murray switch, which Denver seems to be able to get anytime they want. But if you get any kind of backside switch, you know, maybe the third guy out there is Monte Morris or uh, Gary Harris. You have one of those guys on, and on the backside, a guard, basically a shooting guard or point guard, gets switched on to either Michael Porter or Jamichael Green. Well, now you have... You're so vulnerable defensively to those guys cutting and receiving a pass for a layup or cutting and being in position for an offensive rebound. And Michael Porter got a handful of these over you know the course of the season and especially last year, but he got some in this game where he would cut to the basket, a shot would go up, and it'd be like Jalen Brunson on him. And even if Jalen Brunson boxed him out, it's almost impossible for Brunson to just like outreach Michael Porter Jr. on those. And the same goes for Jamichael Green. So I think and, and it's interesting because after the game, Michael Porter was asked about, you know, what is it that makes that pairing so well? Well, and he said we both are so good at going after the rebounds, and you know we're, we're we're both tenacious rebounders or something like that. And I think it's true, especially when playing with Jokic. If you go on cleaning the glass, and I tweeted this out the other day, the Denver Nuggets starting lineup. This does not include Jamichael Green or Michael Porter, by the way, with Barton and Millsap. They are number one in offensive efficiency, and they are also number one in offensive rebound efficiency, meaning they just grab an enormous amount of rebounds. I've talked about this in the past. One of the things that makes them so good at this is Jokic teams in particular is Jokic stretches out the defense. He places players all around the court where they're not used to being. So even if you don't get a switch, well, you might have Willie Colley Stein out at the three point line, defending pick and rolls and dribble handoffs. He's not around the basket that opens things up for cuts, but also just with the ball movement, if you are able to break down the defense, a Jokic led offense is so good at working the ball around teams are scrambling. And when the defense is scrambling, the offense has a better chance of getting in there and grabbing an offensive rebound. And I think that that's why consistently Denver has been one of the best offensive rebounding teams and even better if you look at just five-man lineups that include Jokic. Well, if you give him Jamichael Green and Michael Porter Jr., the offense lends itself to good offensive rebounders, and then you add two great offensive rebounders, and I just think it, it, it's a recipe on the offensive end for an enormous amount of su success once those guys all kind of figure it out. Um I really love lineups that feature, you know, the big three, so Murray, Jokic, and MPJ plus Monte Morris. I just, Monte's just such a great, like, he just knows how to fit into every lineup. And the more you have your talented players on the court, the more the others, the other two positions, just need to be guys that know where to be and can finish plays when they're open. And Monte's that to a T, even though he wasn't necessarily great in this game. 
Um, the Nuggets were able to go small against Dallas. I mean, Dallas plays small. In fact, when Michael Malone was asked about the addition of Compazzo and P.J. Dozier coming into the lineup and what was the inspiration and why did they think they could do it, he cited Dallas as one of the teams that he, they looked at and said, hey, Dallas likes to do it. They play multiple guard lineups, and they have for many years under Rick Carlisle. Maybe we can do that as well. So Dallas went small. Denver was able to go small as well. Jermichael Green at the five, uh, Michael Porter Jr. at the four, and those lineups had a lot of a lot of success as well. I'm just curious to see how common that is that Denver goes to those lineups over the course of the season, and especially in against teams that maybe that lineup doesn't match up naturally. You know, strength versus strength. If it's more of a like, okay. Who's going to win? Are we going to win by playing small? Or are they going to win by playing big? I'm, I'm really interested. Um, I will say it's super vulnerable to play that way against Luka Doncic, and he had an incredible first half. And part of the reason for that was when Denver had so many small players on the court, you know, there were times when you would have Compazzo or Monte or PJ even guarding Luka Doncic or getting switched onto Luka Doncic. And Doncic just would like, he would do what Jokic does, which is he'd run pick and roll, hold the ball above his head where those guys can't even reach, and then just throw it over the top as if they weren't there. So even if defensively you can be a pest, if a player is able to kind of just get to a spot on the elbow and pick it up and throw over you, you're really vulnerable there. We'll take a break. On the other side, though, we'll get into some of the other notes in the second quarter. That was really all notes from the first quarter, um, but we'll get into a lot more in the second half in particular where Michael Porter really started to shine. But first, I want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. You guys know them, one of our longest partners here. Um, and Breck has some dope giveaways for you. If you haven't been down to the bar, we always have some cool Breck stuff to give away. Of course, we've got uh, eight different beers on tap, Breckenridge Brewery uh, beers on tap at the DNVR bar. So you want to check that out. You can try all of them. In fact, you, if you're a member, you get the tall size beer for the size of a regular size beer. Avalanche Amber, Strawberry Sky, Vanilla Porter Jr., the Mango Mosaic. Uh, all kinds of great with a Palisade Peach, a personal favorite. They got the new one. What's it called? Oh, the Juice Trop, a hazy IPA. That one might have climbed my my ranks to the top. That might be my new go-to. We've had those at the office, um, which is actually the bar, but separate from the bar. We get to call it separate from the bar up in the office. We've had those lately, and I've been drinking those because they're fantastic. But they're a great partner for us, guys. Again, another local company, another success story out of Colorado. Um, ho hopefully, like DNVR, if we can match their success, that'd be great if DNVR can. Um, but they're just a really cool company, guys, and, and they get it. There's a few companies around town that absolutely get DNVR, get Denver culture, get Colorado, and, and they're one of them. And if you're out of town and you want to try one of these beers, you keep hearing us talk about them, you want to check them out, use the Breck Beer Locator. You type in your zip code, they tell you what bars, restaurants, and liquor stores have them in your area. Really cool uh, little feature that they have. And then, of course, DraftKings Sportsbook, the presenting sponsor of today's show. Pigskin fans, the moment you have been waiting for all season is right around the corner. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. This is the biggest betting day of the year, guys. You're going to want to get in on this. I'm telling you, if you've been on the fence about it, DraftKings, sign up, use promo code DNVR. All you have to do to get your share of those huge prizes is enter DraftKings' free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. That's right, guys. This weekend, you could win $1 million. Download the app now, enter the free prediction challenge answer question, like who will score last, and boom. 
Get ready to make it rain. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code DMVR to enter the $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use promo code DNVR now and enter the $55 million Super Bowl challenge. Only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Okay, segment two here, guys. Getting into quarter two. Michael Porter Jr., he misses a few reads. Um, but that is sort of the give and take of having a, sh- a shoot first score. So... He's always looking, like his instincts are to score. And you can tell so much that he is like really second guessing, like he's thinking score first and then the little secondary mic comes in. One mic comes in the air and is like, yeah, Mike, shoot it. And then a secondary mic comes in his ear and it's like, hey, coach and Jokic and everybody else is telling me I need to be a team player and read the court better and this or that. And those two, like the angel and devil on his shoulder are kind of like, you know, you can tell that there's that conflict of him trying to figure out and and fine-tune his instincts so that he sort of strikes the right balance. But inevitably, and this is true of Jamal Murray, this is true of any player that is going to be a scorer for you, is that you have to live with a few bad shots. I say this about Jokic all the time. What did I just say about the, the turnovers? I don't mind them, right? Jokic turns the ball over. Why? Because the aggregate of Jokic having the ball in his hand so much and trying passes that most players wouldn't try, the the like overarching result is such an enormous positive. Well, with Michael Porter right now, even now where he's like at the beginning of figuring these things out, I think is still a largely a positive. So I, for me, you're going to have to live with a few plays where Michael Porter shoots it that are just not so great. And not just you. I think fans actually are living with it because he's so damn fun that like you don't even mind when he shoots bad shots. But I think Jokic in particular is going to have to. In fact, it would be a great way for Michael Malone to sort of explain that to him of like, hey, man. The same way that you make passes that drive me nuts, and I'm like, why did you turn it over? But I live with it. Jamaica, or, or, I'm sorry, Michael Porter is going to take some shots that drive you nuts. But as long as he's not over the threshold, and as long as he's, it's, it's all a process of learning that, you just kind of have to live with it. And and I think, you know, he's he's certainly not shooting an egregious amount. I know people kind of point to Will Barton as a guy that in this game, and certainly in that second half, I thought it was true that he was just taking shots that you're like, dude, you might get two of those a game, but you take three, four, especially when you're not connecting, you know, you're really a drag on the defense. And Michael Porter, the same can be true of him, although he was making all his shots in this game. His The transition threes, I feel like that's going to become a real weapon. So this is known to me, or like I think of this as the KD special, the Kevin Durant special, where he dribbles up the court and then just drains a three as the defense is back because those strides are so long. He's not necessarily a quick player, but he does have really long strides. I think that his handle and his hands can get stronger. I'll talk about that in a second. But he has such long strides that if you step up to the three-point line to try to dissuade him from taking a pull-up three in transition, he you're so vulnerable defensively to just him like already on the run to get around you into the rim. If you sag off too much, then he can just pull up into that transition three. So that's one an example of a sort of shoot first, no passes, you come up. Like, I think he gets two of those a game. And if he makes, I would say he gets two misses a game is probably how I would put it. If he's having a really off night and he's only taken one of those, maybe he only gets one a game. But if I were, like, the way I would look at it is I say, you get two transition threes a game, assuming they're open, like remote, you know, not like you come down and shoot it over two guys or whatever. But because that, if he can make it at a consistent basis, and by the way, guys, he's shooting 47% from three. For his career, he's shooting like 45% from three. So we now have almost a 200 three-point sample size, and he's almost at 50%. Like, 
to me, like he gets a green light. He gets to take some of these shots. But if he can start to make those, it has the Steph Curry or KD effect of in transition on when when coaches write the scouting report for him. And for the Denver Nuggets, they're going to say, hey, in transition, he's super deadly. Pick him up above the three-point line. Don't let him get below. And if you start dragging defenders, especially with a Jokic-led team, if you start dragging defenders out beyond the three-point line in transition, you're cooked. You're absolutely cooked. So I am so fine with him taking some of those threes, even though every now and then he'll take one and it'll it'll feel like an empty possession because you have no rebounders. It's nobody else touched the ball or whatever. He, to me, gets that green light, more so than anybody else on the team. Um... Dozier got hurt, and that's a huge bummer, man. I mean, he was playing so well in this game, and I just think he's a good player. I mean, I'm a Dozier fan. I, he drives me nuts. I've talked about this, that he doesn't always know his he, – he diminishes how great of a player he could be because he thinks he's a little bit more of a high-usage player than he is. But, again, you take the good with the bad with him because I think it's a net positive, and I really thought he was starting to come into his own a little bit. And, you know, to see him go out, that's just such a huge bummer. It also kind of changes the complexion. I will say, and we're going to talk about R.J. Hampton later, it does make me excited of the prospect of him maybe getting more minutes. But Dozier was a guy that I, you know, I, I liked. You know, he, he was up there as a guy I didn't mind get, being in the rotation at all. Um, Compazzo got beat up by Jalen Brunson off the dribble a handful of times in this game. And if you were to say, like, Faku, there's some things you can't afford not to be elite at, and one of them is defense on small uh, shifty guards. Like, that's what he's known for. It's his number one trait. You know, everybody talked about his passing coming in, and we've seen some of that. He certainly... We're seeing more and more of it as time goes on. I, I think that's a real, obviously, weapon even at the NBA level for him. But I think his biggest weapon really is his defensive, his unique defensive style that can have an impact, especially off of the bench in the NBA. So if he can't stop a guy like Jalen Brunson, who's a good scorer. I mean, Jalen Brunson's not a scrub. He's good at what he does. But there were a few plays where Faku's up in him, and he just goes right around him to the basket and gets a wide-open layup. Like, he can't afford those. Um, Michael Porter can get a lot stronger and two types of strength. One, I would say, is like lower body strength. He's so skinny, man. Like, even you see, we see him in the weight room and we see some of those pictures of him. And he looks absolutely jacked. And then you get him on the court with like other NBA players. And you're like, no, he's still scrawny. And I think, you know, he's always going to be skinny. I don't think you want to put too much weight on that frame. But I do think if you look at NBA players, most of them have such sturdier lower bodies than like your average human, meaning the proportions of their body, like where their weight is, is more in the lower half than it is in most people. Um, and I think he he can stand to improve there because he gets an offensive rebound in this game. And I think it was off of the Gary backwards layup. You, I know everybody remembers that one where he shoots it over his head. He grabs that board. And I think it's Tom uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. who like kind of bumps him a little bit. Might have been a foul, but just kind of pushes him off of the spot and he misses the layup. And those are the types of plays where... There, you you guys all kind of recognize this. He's so athletic, but there's certain times where he has to go through contact in his athleticism. If you if you're an athletic player, Shaquille O'Neal, and somebody's inside giving you contact, he's so strong that him jumping with no contact versus him jumping with average contact it diminishes his athleticism by about five percent because he's so strong he can jump through that. Um, some players are that way. LeBron James, you know, maybe it's five to ten percent. He's so athletic he can go through it. Michael Porter. Contact kind of zaps like 50% of his athleticism, maybe more. So when he's down there, 
you know, we all remember the dunk at the second half where Gary Harris is probably a charge, if we're being honest. He probably should have gotten an offensive foul, but he drops it off to MPJ, and MPJ jumps up and dunks it. He's so springy on that play that he, like, power dunks it off of a straight vertical, and you look at that and you go, like, my God, this guy can get up so high. And then you watch plays like the one I'm talking about where Gary Harris shoots it over his head, and Michael Porter Jr. grabs the rebound, and he goes up, and he barely gets above the net to finish it because there was a little bit of contact. He's getting so little of his athleticism. So I really think he can improve his lower body strength to be able to play through the that contact and first of all it's going to happen like all all NBA players when they first get into the league like have to like improve their bodies over the first four or five seasons even Jamal Murray I think is still in the process of like making himself into an NBA all-star caliber body if you ever see Steph Curry in person by the way compare him to Jamal Murray's body like Murray has a much bigger frame to him but Steph Curry's like more way more ripped he has like zero body fat on him you could tell he's really sculpted his body to be a peak, peak condition I think Jamal Murray could stand to gain even in that that regard but Michael Porter the same thing um the other area he can really improve his body and this is a crazy one it's his hands he has awful hands for a guy as great as he is, like, I mean, he might have the worst hands on the team just in terms of, like, losing the ball through contact, not catching fast passes or hard rebounds or whatever, getting the ball stripped out of him, which has happened in the last few games. And it was interesting because when I was watching some videos on Kobe the other day, uh, this was, you know, a couple weeks back, I was saw a video where... He was talking about his hands in particular. And he obviously he idolized Michael, who had like the strongest hand. I mean, he has Kawhi Leonard hands, this enormous hands that were just so freaking strong. And he could palm that ball off enough. Like Michael Jordan palmed the ball as well as any guard or wing player has ever palmed the ball. And he talked about how much he idolized that, but he couldn't do it because his hands weren't as big. Like if you've ever seen a comparison of MJ and Kobe's hands, they're not even comparable. So he thought, well, I have to make up for it somehow. And he got with his training staff and he was like, how do I make my fingers stronger? How do I make my wrists stronger? Like all these, and we think of muscles, we think of like, you know, biceps and shoulders and whatever, calves. And like, he was like, how do I make my fingers stronger? How do I make my hands like really, really unique muscle groups that you wouldn't think of as like gaining strength in. But Kobe talked about doing that. And you never thought of Kobe, even though he had those small hands as his career went on, like he never got the ball stripped of him because he was too weak. He never couldn't go up strong and dunk it on people because he couldn't palm it. Like he turned his disadvantaged sized hands into an advantage. And I think Michael Porter sort of needs to somebody in his ear kind of saying the same thing. Like, hey man, part of the weight room is actually working on your finger strength because right now you just don't catch the ball and, and your hand-eye coordination as well. So it's kind of a weird thing, but I think he can really stand to gain on that. Um, the Nuggets run what I call strong action with Michael Porter Jr. and Jermichael Green. Um, and they oh they ran this one and it really highlights, I put this on the list. It's a type of action that I think can really get the Nuggets open looks just all the time. So strong action is a double pin down screen for somebody off ball. So you figure there's a ball handler up top. I, I think that Denver's actually going to be able to get into this specific action. If, if Jokic is not on the court and you have Jermichael Green at five and uh, Michael Porter Jr. at uh, four, I think having Jamal Murray on the court for this actually really, really works. They ran it for Gary Harris, and that's fine as well. But Michael Porter, it's going to, or I mean, I'm sorry, Jamal Murray, it's going to make it even better. So you basically run a pin down screen where one player's in the corner, the guard's in the corner. You send Michael Porter first on the screen, so he winds up in the corner after he sets the screen. And then the second screen, it's a stagger, the second screen winds up at the wing. Well, what happens on this play is Gary Harris has an option. He can come off of both screens and receive the ball, or he can curl both screens and go towards the basket. It's very hard for teams to fight through two screens. It's just it's just really, really difficult not to get caught on at least one of them without trailing the play significantly. 
And so you get that, but if the defense jumps you, as the Dallas Mavericks did in the example that I have up on the list, then Gary Harris can, what's called shortcut that, you would probably know it as a backdoor, meaning go through one screen and then slip towards the basket on the other one. They did that, Jermichael Green pops out to the wing, and here's where you create either a huge advantage switch, because you're talking about a guard to center switch, or, as what happened in the case with Dallas, the guy guarding Jermichael Green has to like stunt back towards the paint to make sure Gary Harris doesn't get a wide open layup. Luka Doncic ultimately catches up, but not in enough time for Jermichael Green just to pop to the corner or to the wing and drain a three. What's nice about this play is there's so many options. There's the guard coming off of the pin down and either shortcutting or curling or, or popping out for three, or he goes through and then the Jermichael Green pops out. And if that doesn't work, or maybe the defense has to rotate over from the corner, you flip it over to, to, to Michael Porter Jr. But it's so hard to defend that action without getting some type of a switch between your one, your four, and your five. And it's just a great action that it's the it's the beauty of having two players who are capable of cutting and two players that are capable of shooting that are both at your four and your five spot. So offensively, those guys just fit so so well. You're gonna want to see the play up on the list. Michael Porter is improving on def- the defensive end. It's very noticeable. Um you know, he still has a lot of tests ahead of him and teams in the regular season are not going to try to go at his weaknesses as much as they will in the postseason. So some of this is like, we're just not going to know until the postseason. But I thought in this game, he did not stand out defensively in a bad way more than a few times. And I mean, Jokic stood out a few times, you know, Jamal Murray stood out a few times. Like I I thought Michael Porter looked like a regular Denver Nuggets defender out there um, in this game. And that's extremely important. He had a... um, a couple great rotations on the backside. Um, he had a couple that he missed, and, and even the ones that he missed or the ones that he was late on, it was things that you could see he was recognizing it, just maybe like, whereas before maybe he would not recognize it or he'd be like a full second or beat full beat behind. In this game, the ones he got there early on a couple of them, and on the ones he didn't, he was like an eighth of a second behind. So I really do think that he's making progress there, and part of the progress I'm sure is just like, you know, when you when you screw up game after game after game, it's you're so nervous all the time because every screw up feels like it's compounding. But when you string together a couple good defensive games in a row, then it, you get less nervous because you're like, well, I can afford one or two mistakes, which is how you should feel. Like players shouldn't feel like one mistake they're coming out. But um, Michael Porter, I just it, his defense has looked a lot better in this game. He'll be really tested in this next one because Miami runs a lot of really smart off-ball action, and that's where, in my opinion, he is the weakest, is in reading like when there's motion on the on the weak side. And, of course, Miami runs Duncan Robinson and, and Tyler Hero, often an enormous amount of backside action. So he's going to be really tested in this next one. Um, he had a fantastic duck-in off of a Jokic post-entry, which I just love. You guys all remember the play, Jokic high-low to, to Michael Porter. But what I liked about this duck-in in particular, if you've been following me for long enough, I call these Lonzo screens because Lonzo Ball's so great at them. But what it is is when you're on the weak side and a player has the ball at the, the post or the elbow and you're in the dunker spot or you're not in the dunker spot but you're sort of like dunker spot elevated, basically free throw line extended but not all the way out, What I like about it is you can set this what would be like a fade screen for the player in the corner, but when the player, either they'll switch that or they'll start to switch it, and that's when you duck in. So it looks like you're behind the guy, and right as they start to fight over you, that's when you duck in and flash to the ball, and he had one of those, and it got him a wide-open layup from Jokic, and I just love those types of duck-ins. They're really useful. 
I thought Jokic was so bad in his second stint. I mean, so many mental mistakes, like I said. I mean, we're not going to beat him over the head for it, but the second stint in particular, he got rough. Will Barton talked well talked about he was also super rough. And I didn't even think in the first half he was gunning too much. I just thought, like, what little he played, he was not productive. You know, he did get the rebounds and assists, but he, just lo- he looks really bad. I, I One thing I will say, I know a lot of people got upset at the end of first half shot that he took. I did not. Um, you know, that was basically a Hail Mary type play. There was four seconds left. Now he could have advanced the ball and passed it. But if you watch the play, Jamal Murray didn't want it. A lot of times your key players, they don't care if a role player takes that shot because the odds of that shot going in are so low. And you don't mind a guy like Will Barton when he's fully healthy being the guy that takes tough shots. Will Barton's a good tough shot maker. So if you go back and rewind the tape, nobody was mad. People were like, he didn't even, he looked off Murray and tried to play hero ball. There was four seconds left. Murray was like, Barton, go play hero ball. I don't want this one. So I'm not, that one in particular, I'm not mad at. And I didn't even think the first half he took too many bad shots. He just didn't look good. It was the second half where I thought he got too aggressive. And take a break to tell you about MSU Denver Online. MSU Denver puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. And they just offer so many great things where you can continue to work and do classes at night. You can, uh, you want to switch careers, you want to learn a new skill. They do all those types of things. So working a job and taking a class is what a lot of MSU Denver Online students do. That's how the curriculum is built. You can work ahead at any moment if you have uh, a softer schedule. All of a sudden you want to get a little bit ahead or you, okay, I have to put things off a little bit because I'm going to have to catch up later. They do a lot of things like that. They're used to um, that program. People that have busy lives but want to further their education. So check them out. MSU Denver Online. Also want to remind you guys about Colorado Rugby season. Or we're back up and running with some really cool stuff. As you may know, Infinity Park right here in Glendale, Colorado is known as Rugby Town USA. In fact, the facility was recently designated the Rugby Town National Training Center, which is home of the USA Eagles men's and women's rugby 15 teams. Our guy Colton Strickler has you covered for all of what you're going to need to know about rugby here in Colorado and rugby in the U.S. Weekly DNVR Rugby Podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Um, Follow him uh, and our DNVR Rugby accounts on social media. You can learn Rugby 101. Colton has a cool 101 to uh, American Style Rugby video series. Um, And he does exclusive interviews. He's plugged in, guys, so he's got great athletes, coaches, and all that stuff going on. So check him out. Colton Strickler, DNVR Rugby. Okay, final segment here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, and we're going to get into the second half where a lot of action happened, but I have actually fewer notes. You know, the opening of the second half was a comedy of errors. I mean, Paul Millsap gets fouled. He misses two free throws in a row. So right off the bat, you kind of feel like a wasted possession. There was Murray turnovers and a frustration foul. Uh, even before the you know the groin punch, there was that. I don't know if you guys remember, but there was the he kind of runs back and just wraps up. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. He was clearly the frustration was was boiling over for him, like rising and rising as the game went on. But then you also just had like, you know, Denver does this where they fall out of flow, they fall out of rhythm. And in the first half, they had a good flow going, especially at the end. I thought the bench started it, but the the starters came back in and finished it. And then you take a halftime break and you come back out and you just can't get anything. Now, some of this was, I think, that, you know, Dallas was sagging so much off into the paint. But I think a majority of this, and in just kind of clogging driving lanes, it made for the ball to kind of get stagnant. But I think part of this is, like, we talk about fatigue with Denver. They start the game great. As the game went on, they kind of got worse and they had to gut out the win. But, you know, it's at least more evidence for that. 
but Will Barton, I talked about how in the first half I didn't really mind how he played other than, you know, he wasn't effective, but he wasn't necessarily a negative. He was just a zero. In the second half, he started, as, as Denver lost that connection and lost that flow, it wasn't just him, but his was the most egregious because he had been so off that when he's forcing shots, you're like, bro, it's not your night. You know, quit quit taking shots. And he had forced a couple that were just really ugly. Um, and they always seem to come at the worst times, you know, and this is another thing about connection. I talk about this a lot on the Keeping It 1000 podcast with George Carl. I really hope you guys are all subscribed to that. Um, really, really good show. But, you know, they the Nuggets, when you fall out of rhythm, it's like everybody starts to lose just a little bit of trust in each other. And it's like, well... You know, we've had like three or four bad possessions in a row and I haven't touched it. So if I touch it next time, I'm going to shoot because we're not, you know, you just start, it's not like conscious, but it's just like a, a feeling that you get where everybody kind of falls off. And Jokic was just off. He couldn't find the right timing. Like the offense had stalled. He couldn't, usually you go to him in those moments and it's like, all right, Jokic, Joker, get us out of this little rut here, get a bucket or something. And he just couldn't do it in this game. Like he just didn't have it in him and, and for whatever reason. And I thought it was very evident early on before Murray got pulled out. I thought it was evident that Michael Malone needed to make a change to the lineup. He needed to put more shooting in there. He needed just to put something else, more energy on the court. And Malone didn't, and he stuck with it for way too long. Just I, I, not that you put this one on Malone, but you know it is a trait of his that he likes to stick with lineups. Like he doesn't like, he goes into a game, it seems, with an idea of, okay, here's my rotation and I don't want to play these guys out of, you know, I don't want to break from whatever it is I had planned or ordained for this the rotation to go. And so he calls a timeout and he goes back out with the same guys. And it was just so clear. Millsap didn't have it. Bart didn't have it. Jokic was struggling. You're obviously going to stick with Jokic, but just try to give him some more weapons to spread the court out a little bit. And he did not. And I, I thought that was a mistake. If you look at it, the Nuggets starters, and when I say starters, I mean Will Barton version of the starters, not Michael Porter. Will Barton version of the starters. They have the fourth most minutes played this season in all of the NBA of any five-man lineup. And that's crazy because they haven't even played, they didn't even start for four games. So you cut off four games of the season and they still have played more than any, than all but three other four-man lineups. Malone just loves to stick to his rotations. Like he just, he doesn't like to deviate from it. And I thought this was a game where, that was like a real anchor on it. Um, and not only that, I, I'm curious, I'll probably ask this to George Carl next week on, on the Keeping It 1000 podcast, but, you know, I wonder if there's benefit throughout the course of a season of just trying different combinations. You never know. You never know what kind of lineups will look. You never know when you're going to have to go to different lineups, whether it's a playoff series or, or whatever. Of course, it famously in the playoffs last year, the Nuggets did have a few games where they would play a lineup they had never played before. So it would be interesting to see if, you know, you don't want to get to that point, in my opinion. You want to be able to rely and say, hey, you know what? Millsap, Barton don't have it tonight. Let's try something else out. Let's try some new guys in the in the lineup early. So he just wouldn't do that. RJ Hampton did get in, um, and I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he was phenomenal live, and when I went back and rewatched it, I thought he was even better. I've talked about this with Michael Porter, who's on a different trajectory. I mean, Michael Porter, I think, much bigger star. He's also older. He's had the delay or whatever, so it's harder for him to do this. But I thought R.J. Hampton did exactly what a player in his position needs to do. You come in. You're known as a guy, you know, at your... your you're, as a prospect, it's like, okay, he has star potential. He can score the basketball. He can get by. No, no, no. That's not why you're in there. When you're in there with Jokic and Murray and all it, or any of these guys that are in the rotation permanently, you're in there to hustle. You're in there to play hard. You're in there to stay out of the way. And if the ball finds you, like you're not, not playing basketball. You're still out there playing basketball. But you're not out there to do the flashy stuff. You're out there to do the hard stuff. And I thought RJ Hampton went into that game with the perfect mentality. Absolutely perfect mentality. 
hustle, play great defense, be dialed in, and just play with so much energy. And if you put him out there, you put Compazzo out there, who always plays with great energy. You have Jamichael out there, who's a workhorse. You started putting more and more guys out there that were just going to play well. And this is the thing, like Jokic clearly tired, Barton, Millsap clearly tired and don't have it. Well, if they don't have it, put out guys out there who, whether good or bad, they're going to play hard. And I thought that's what R.J. Hampton and Compazzo and, and that whole second unit kind of brought there to start the fourth quarter. And R.J. Hampton has a good nose for the ball, at least he did in this game. You know, he's such a good first-step guy. He's so slithery and, like, I mean, he's he's slippery, I think, is, is the way you would describe him. And he can, like just find little cracks in the defense for rebounds or shooting the gaps. And he did, he, that was on full display, quick jumps to grab rebounds, tipping the ball, just constantly finding himself in spots around like where he could make good, big plays and fantastic. I mean, I would not be at all surprised if RJ Hampton earned himself more minutes at some point over the next few day, games while PJ Dozier is out. I don't know if, you know, maybe Hartenstein's ahead of him and maybe they just tried more minutes for Faku or something like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if RJ Hampton um, got some run. And I hope he does because I really loved what I, what I saw from him. He, uh, the first play of the game, by the way, that, for, that he gets in there, he creates a second chance point that resulted in a three and was absolutely huge. And then I mentioned Michael Porter Jr.'s uh, defensive rotations were good. The Nuggets, I talked about this on the list a while back, but the Nuggets play do this double drag play that works so well. They use Jermichael Green and um, and Michael Porter Jr. And they just it, similar to the strong pin down, the double drag screen is instead of it being for an off-ball player, it's for the ball handler at the top of the key. And Either guy can roll, either guy can shoot. They're both can like they're both so tall that like if you do switch guards, then you can give the ball to Michael Porter or him or something at the foul line and they just shoot over or, or go down to the block. So just a real I mean, Denver's running it, I would say four, three, four times every single game they're running that double drag action and getting something off of it. Um Jokic has been missing threes lately. Um, in addition to, you know, I, like I said, I think he's actually been really good un- until this last game. And the Suns game, he was, you know, he did some really great things, but and overall it was not one of his stronger games, so two games in a row. But his three-point shot is more like six games in a row now that he hasn't really shot the ball with confidence. Clearly not looking for it and just a little bit out of rhythm. Again, maybe a sign of some fatigue or, or mental exhaustion or something. And then Michael Porter, what I loved about this game, and you guys all saw it, Jokic didn't have it. Barton didn't have it. Monte Morris surprisingly didn't have it. Gary Harris didn't have it. Michael Porter looked like a guy that knew that. He looked like he took the temperature of the game and was like, you know, none of those guys have it. I do. I'm going to win this one. And he just made so many plays. It wasn't just the three-point shooting. But that obviously stands out. He had so many threes, including the game-sealing three. But it wasn't just that. It was the defensive plays, the rebounds, the hustle. I mean, he got two big steals. Um, or contributed to two big steals down the stretch on Luka Doncic that were just like key plays. So it's so cool because we know Jokic can win games for the Nuggets. We know Murray can win games for the Nuggets. We know quite often Jokic and Murray combined, the two-man game is going to win games for the Nuggets. But it's awesome that you have this third guy that can like single-handedly sort of dig you out, and that's what this game represented. So it was really cool. Those are my notes on this game, guys. I'm looking forward to uh, Wednesday night's game against Miami. I anticipate that Jokic will be... A little bit fatigued. I'm so curious. Like, if he has a bounce back game, it's like, oh sweet, you know, um, all you know, nothing to be really concerned about with Jokic. But if he looks a little sluggish and just doesn't have it again, you know, I would worry about. Okay, maybe it's worth resting him on a final game or something like this. But um, 
you know, either way, whether he plays or doesn't, or if he plays well or doesn't, the Nuggets just have so many interesting pieces right now that I feel like you can't go wrong. So I'm looking forward to it. And I hope to see you guys at the pregame show on our YouTube channel up on DNVR YouTube channel, five o'clock tomorrow, uh, mountain time. And we'll be previewing that game at the uh, DNVR studios, the DNVR lounge. And then of course, post games live with the whole crew, hopefully in the winner's lounge. We'll see you all then. Before we get out of here, though, I want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group, one of my favorite sponsors here, guys. Best damn family-owned dentist in all of the metro area, right there in Lakewood, Colorado, just 10 minutes uh, away from uh, downtown Denver. They are a family-owned business that really takes care of their clients and their customers, and, and they really get to know you. Um, Lindsay, uh, our sales director, went out there and had a phenomenal experience. You can schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam right now. You receive a free Sonicare toothbrush when you do. Um, and they just treat you like family. Birthday cards, you know, Christmas cards, etc. They know your name when you come on in. And most of all, guys, they're a longtime DNVR partner. They show us love. Show them some love. If you're looking for a dentist or if you're wanting to make a change, maybe you don't like your dentist, don't hate your dentist, whatever. Find somebody. You got doctors, whatever it is, like people that you, you know, you put your health in their hands. You want to really love those people you want to trust them and so if you don't have a dentist you like or if you're thinking about making a, a change check out green mountain dental group and then again get that cleaning x-ray and exam and you're going to get a free sonicare toothbrush <laughs>